In some ways, it's a, a very recent story, but it's a lifelong story. Nobody's perfect, but we often want our leaders to be. What happens when a pastor reckons with brokenness, wrestles with a mental illness, and then redefines a ministry and calling where lived experience is as valuable and needed as credentials and a lengthy resume? What if leadership looked like radical honesty and knowing one's own capacity to serve? Something uncomfortable, something beautiful, something real, and something more healing than anyone could imagine. Pastor Wally Nichol shares his journey through a mental health crisis, living with anxiety and depression, and how it has shaped his faith and work. He practices what he preaches. He doesn't preach as much as he used to. Instead, he spends a lot of his ministry time listening to and making space for the stories and experiences of others through peer support groups at his church for those dealing with mental health challenges. He wears two hats at once, facilitator and group member, and he has a lot of incredible things to say about what mental health ministry can look like when belonging, not perfection, is the goal. Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast, a space where mental health and faith collide, and conversation, connection, and change are possible. So, Wally. Yes. You've been a pastor for nine years now. Uh, actually, longer. I started pastoring in 1990. Oh, okay. And so I've been doing it probably off and on uh, with school, and and there was a time where I was at home, but I probably have close to 20 years. Wow. Of pastoral ministry. Yeah. Yeah, and that means you've seen a lot. I have. <laughs> I have. I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot, and I've grown a lot. I've changed a lot in those in those years as well. Mm-hmm. What are you What are you working on right now? Let's start there. I think the the biggest uh, or the most prominent thing I'm working on is is the whole area of faith and mental health mm-hmm. and trying to um, have the conversation be a regular part of church life. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just leading the way in terms of sharing my story as often as I can, in terms of sharing um, that it's a safe place to be and a safe place to share that you're not okay. Mm-hmm. especially in terms of mental health, but even in terms of any illness or any, uh, especially any chronic illness. Um, I don't want people to be um, suffering in silence. I want them to be able to come and say, I'm not okay, but I still want to be a part of this. I still want to be a part of church. I still want to be here. Um, so I want to make have that conversation going on. Wally very bravely and candidly shared his story of abduction and abuse as a young boy with me. He talks about the shame and fear that resulted from this experience, which is where we pick up the thread again in his story. When I was, uh, well, let's say this, when I, shortly after I got married, which is 20 years ago this summer, um, I started to have flashbacks. My wife had shared, uh, obviously, with me her story of, uh, of trauma and abuse uh, in her teen years. And uh, after she shared her story with me, and, and during our first year of marriage, I started to get these flashback images in my mind. I'd say, oh, is that real, or am I just 
thinking, making this up or not. And then I'd share these, these, uh, flashbacks with my wife. And, uh, and usually by the end of the conversation, I'd say, you know what? I don't think that happened, but if it did happen, then, then God's been gracious and he's just protected me from all that and no problems. And, and she'd be like, um, maybe you should talk to somebody. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Look, I'm, you know, we're, we're doing fine. We're been in ministry already for a number of years and all that kind of stuff. And so then I would just push it back, uh, back again. And then when our, uh, uh, about, uh, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, when our son was turning seven, um, I had a significant crash, mental health crash, uh, while in ministry, uh, took some time off, uh, came back too soon and crashed even harder. Like after about 10 days of trying to go back, it was like, then I went off. And I remember standing at the sink on a Saturday morning, uh, having just finished uh, breakfast with our kids and, and my wife, and I was doing the dishes. And I just looked at my wife and, and said, I can't do this anymore. And she looked at me and said, what, the dishes? Like, that's literally how common the morning was. And I said, no, I can't do life like this. And I just slumped down to the floor and, uh, and didn't know really what was all going on, but something was just unraveling. And, uh, and so that set me on a, a path um, where, again, I tried to suck it up. And my wife kind of put her foot down and said, no, you need to get some help. Wow, we can't live like this. And and at the time I thought, wow, she's really being kind of mean. And <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'll go talk to my mom. She loves me. And uh, my mom uh, had the same response. No, you, something's going on. You need to get help. And so I actually checked myself into Peace Arch Psych Unit. And, uh, and that was I, quite a brave thing to do. It was scary. <laughs> and, uh, and, a lot of it was, uh, I was thankful to my wife for saying, hey, you need to, to, to at least talk to somebody. And so I actually went to the emergency with the, with the thought of, you know what, I'm going to talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I'm not going to check myself in. And then the psychiatrist uh, who met with me was like, you know, we do have an available bed and, you know, it might be a good idea. And I was just like, oh, Lord, like, I don't want to do this. Like, and... Uh, and so, uh, in the end, I said, okay, I would stay. I remember uh, being, I think it was my second night there, and laying awake in bed and thinking, first, I don't belong here, but I think I did. But secondly, thinking, wow, I feel really disconnected from my people, from my church community. And the message that I felt, they, they didn't say this audibly to me, but the message I felt they were saying to me was, we don't know what to do for you. So go find help, get well, and then come back to mm-hmm. us. And I remember laying in that bed uh, in, the, in the psych unit and saying, Lord, there should be nobody in church feeling this ever, regardless of what they're coming to us with. Nobody should feel like the church doesn't know what to do and is sending them away to somewhere else. And, uh, and I said, I don't ever want anybody to feel like that again. The next day, I started to meet with an occupational therapist on the, uh, on the unit and uh, she, she started to really walk me through a lot of very practical things in terms of how to deal with this newfound thing of panic attacks and anxiety. I'd always lived with depression, but all of a sudden in this experience, panic attacks, anxiety, where I thought I'm going to die, that kind of panic attack was a thing. And so she started to work with me in practical ways. And then actually I kept meeting with her uh, in her private practice after I left the psych unit at Peace Arch. And uh, she just, again, helped me to start figuring out the day-to-day. How could I 
live day to day. Cause I was at the point where I was, the anxiety was so bad. I couldn't be, I did not want to be alone in a room or anywhere. I would, didn't, wouldn't yeah. be left. Don't leave me alone for any amount of time, which you can imagine for my wife who was working full time, that was crippling. Like we literally had a friend who would come in and sit and stay with us. She was, uh, she was in between jobs and she would just come and she would just be present in the house and that would quell my anxiety. So I had to learn how to even do basic things like that. How do I live through that type of anxiety? And then also my occupational therapist turns out that she is a Christian. She obviously knew that from my docket in the hospital. She knew more about me than I knew about her. Um, but, uh, we, uh, we kept working together and then she pointed me in the direction of peer support group. And so I did that for a long time and that was life changing. And that was where I thought, why can't we do this in a church setting? This is so easy. Like we're just a group of broken people sitting together. The psychiatrist who was leading that peer support group rarely, if ever said anything, just listen. And if somebody maybe, uh, you know, went outside of the boundaries that the group had set for how we would operate, then he might interject or anything. But other than that, he said nothing. And I thought, we're all healing and changing by meeting together and listening to each other's stories. We could do this in church. It, you know, a bunch of broken people sitting together. That sounds like church. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing I, I learned uh, in that Pierce group peer support group was I was, I could heal and I was actually healing even when there was silence. Cause sometimes we would go long periods of time where no one wanted to say anything. And yet I realized in that God is doing something. He's healing even in the midst of silence. I'm still processing. I'm still thinking. I'm still working through things. And so that was a profound, that was where the, the seed or the bug was in me. Like, why can't we do this in church? So that was where that seed was planted. I still wasn't done in my journey. Yeah. I came out of that. I started to uh, to reintegrate sort of into life and into the day-to-day. -day and, and I was learning the coping skills for for the anxiety and the panic attacks and, and entering back into ministry setting, slowly half-time uh, in an administrative role, um, just sort of getting my feet wet again and also getting more comfortable in my skin. So, okay, this is my new reality. Mm -hmm. And in that, met with a, a friend of mine, and I was wrestling with something else, actually financial related. And he said, you know, I've got this counselor, and she's done amazing things for me in my life. And she's helped me, uh, you know, get set free from all sorts of things. Why don't you talk to her? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, again, this reluctance to go seek help. And uh, so he kept encouraging me, and finally I was like, okay, I'll go. And so I went and I met with this uh, lady, her name's Barb, and uh, found out later on, she's actually a trauma counselor. I didn't know that going in, but I just went on the advice of my friend who said she's spirit-led and she's amazing and she'll help you. And so I went in and I wanted to talk about this. And of course she did the thing of like, well, tell me more of your story. And I started to tell her more of my story. And within an hour, she had me talking about, you know, things that I had no intention of going there to talk about. And then this, these flashbacks started to come up and I mentioned them. And of course she probed into that more and more. And, uh, and by the end of the hour, she said, you know, you're not here to talk about topic A, you're here for, for this. And I said, like, how do you know? She goes, it is so obvious and so evident. And the spirit is so saying, this is what you're here for. And I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> 
I said, okay, I'm willing to come back and talk about this. And I remember getting out of that appointment and uh, sitting, getting into my car, sitting in the parking lot and saying, really, God, I thought I was coming here to solve problem A and you want me to go down this thing, which I don't even know if it really happened or not. And he's like, yeah. And I go, but why? And he's like, why? I, I felt betrayed. I, I said to him, why would you trick me into coming to yeah. see her like that? And he said, well, if I had told you up front, would you have come? And I said, no. He said, are you willing to try? And I said, okay, I'm willing. Yeah, I'll give it another shot. And I went back and, and at 47, I experienced grace for the first time. All those years ministering, I could preach about it. I had degrees in theology, all that kind of stuff. I could tell you all about it. Uh, but uh, in that classic uh, Philip Yancey book, What's So Amazing About Grace? I could never answer that personally. I could just tell you theoretically and theologically what's so amazing about it, but I had never experienced it. And that was almost like a second uh, second birth for me. That was a, a profound experience where I was like, okay, now I am profoundly changed. I can't go back and do ministry like I did. I can't go back and be the person uh, that I was. This is a significant part of my story. God's done an amazing thing of healing. And so that was when the church was starting to approach me and saying, hey, would you come and pastor with us? And I was like, okay, but I'm very different than what I was yeah you know, 10, 12 years ago even. And uh, it, was a, it was a profound uh, healing experience for me. I'm just so moved by your openness and um, your story, actually. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how your ministry changed? Because um, you said, well, I'm not the same person. So what, what shifted for you? Yeah, a lot of my... Uh, mechanisms that I put in to protect myself. I think as a teen, as a young adult, early in ministry, uh, focused around things of perfectionism and control, uh, high standards, um, thriving off of the encouragement and the accolades of other people and saying, you know, when they say you did great, or that was an awesome sermon, or that's where my, that's where my drive would come from. And all of those things were based out of an insecurity that I didn't even know why it was there. I just always thought I was kind of shy. I always thought I was, I, I knew I was more, probably more an introvert, but uh, in hindsight, really what I was doing is I was, I was uh, always sort of living life on the sidelines, observing other people and not knowing why I couldn't or didn't fit into that. And the way that I found that I could fit in was in the pastoral ministry and doing these other things for people and then gaining their support and encouragement. And, and, and I think God honored all that uh, in terms of calling me into the ministry and in terms of gifting me with certain things and allowing me to be used. But now all of a sudden I realized, oh, he has a work to do in me. And he wants me to be able to experience the things that I was so wanting others to experience or helping them experience. And so... Um, I realized the only way that that was going to happen was really by being genuinely me. Perfectionism was and control; those were my two big vices. And and the hard thing is, is they helped me be successful in ministry. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like that's that's really the tough part. And so now I had, I always say I had like forty years of living and developing these habits and ways of life. And then I all of a sudden had the scales and I was trying to tip them. So it's hard. I still fall back into a lot of those things quite often. I still have to stop myself and, and check myself and say, what's my motivation here? 
why am I feel anxious? Why am I feeling anxious about this? Is it because uh, I'm worrying about what other people will say? Am I worrying about how well I will do, or will I let my family down? Or I've realized my biggest critic is actually in my head, and the voice in my head is my single biggest uh, critic. It's the one that creates the most fear and the most anxiety for me. So I'm still learning a lot of those kind of healthier habits. I'm still learning how to take risks and uh, step out sort of into that unknown where I don't have the control and and just be trusting. Those are hard places for me to go even now. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so even coming here this morning, again, I had to check myself. There was a lot of, okay, well, I don't know this Sarah person and and I don't know what her expectations are and and what if this isn't the perfect podcast and, you know, all those things. And I, then I was just like, okay, Lord, that's not what you're asking me to do. I think you just want me to come and talk and share and I'll let you take care of all the rest. Mm -hmm. And Sarah's probably pretty good at what she does. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about any of that end of things. Yeah. And um, so, so it's a process, but I had to consciously release all that this morning, you know, and even on the drive here, just saying, okay, nope, I'm not going back to those thoughts. I'm just gonna, mm. I'm just gonna come and, and, and let God do it, whatever he wants to do, even if it's not perfect in my eyes, um, it'll be okay. So that is also how I'm trying to do ministry, and it's hard. And the church I'm in is great right now. They have a lot of uh, freedom. Um, I think a lot of times the expectation that I experience are ones that I bring on myself. I used to be able to do this, or I used to be able to function at this level. I used to be able to work more hours or work more efficiently, um, and I can't anymore. Uh, there's, there are some significant uh, capacity things that are reduced since my mental crash, and I'm not necessarily fully comfortable in my new skin in terms of the limitations it has for me. And, and even, in, even in thoughts of like, I don't think I'm worth what they're paying me, or I think somebody else could do my job better, like somebody maybe younger who, or who hasn't experienced the stuff I've experienced could come in and they'd have more energy and more get up and go to produce more. And, and I'm like, where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from, again, these old habits and old thoughts of this is who I am and this is how I will be worth something and find value in society and find value in my, uh, with my peers. Um, but it's not coming from a place that God's saying, this is who I call you to be. This is who I say you are. If you're not going to cure me, because it's becoming evident to me, I'm still in counseling, I'm still in therapy, still deal with depression and anxiety. Um, so it's becoming evident to me that I'm not getting the supernatural cure right. for now. <laughs> um, then why not take the calling away? Or if you're going to keep the calling, it'd be so much easier if I didn't have mental health challenges, if I didn't live with mental illness. Can't it be one or the other? And so I've been wrestling with that all year and... and uh, and he's saying, no, it's not going to be one or the other. Why can't it be both? Why can't you do both? And so that's been my journey. Can I find uh, peace and can I find sense of wholeness um, in the midst of mental illness? That's been a profound challenge for me. Mm. I feel like I just keep getting really actually moved by the spirit, by your story. Thanks. 
And I just want to say to our listeners, um, you know, we're not perfect. And even if your podcast host starts crying, that's a good thing. (laughs) Especially when it comes to sanctuary and, and what you're talking about today, Wally. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to sit with people in that place where... I think where 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 I have been at and where I'm at, where it's like, okay, I'm convinced that God is God. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that He is who He says He is. But for me, at least, mental illness, and it could be some other chronic illness, has rocked my practical day-to-day life so hard that I don't know how to reconcile my God in my day-to-day. Mm-hmm. But I know the answer is not throwing away God. And so what do you do? I, I've been fortunate to have counselors and occupational therapists who have developed into friends uh, and who were able with their faith to stand in that gap with me and just just be present and just hold that place often in silence and just say, it's okay. You don't need to walk away from your faith. God can, you can meet God in this place. He's here somewhere. Many of us have experienced shame, fear, and a deep sense of unworthiness that is rooted in trauma, and it can silence us when we need help the most. I was deeply moved by Wally's willingness to speak what was unspeakable for so long and share his life with me and you, the listener. You know, none of us predicted how separate we would be in 2020. And Wally spends a lot of time talking about how crucial in-person connections are to support mental health. These things are still true, but we've had to innovate and find new ways to support each other in the midst of a global pandemic, where distance is the safest, kindest thing we can do. We are getting closer to being able to be together again, and this is good news. But just a note for listeners, as this episode was recorded before the pandemic hit us, Wally's care for others and deep pastoral insight still rings true. And I hope you take as much comfort from this conversation as I did. Yeah, let's talk about the, these groups a little yeah. more. Because um, as a facilitator myself, it's always interesting to be in a room where you are wearing more than one hat mm-hmm. uh, and managing managing your own heart as well as creating space for others. That's a tension that I think um, you articulated beautifully. So tell me about the peer support groups. Tell me about your experience of them. What have you learned? What's gone well? What, what's been hard? Let's, mm-hmm. let's go there. <laughs> yeah. I, th- you know, when we started last uh, August, September, I had no idea what we were in store for really. Um, uh, when we had joined with uh, with the other church, they had said the previous year they were sometimes down to two or three people, and it was hard to facilitate a group when you only had a couple people. And so, when all these people showed up, it was it was a, a super pleasant surprise. But it was so many people that we couldn't really start to plan. We just had to go with it and say, okay, we've got more people than we have facilitators for. We need somebody to step in, uh, in this group. We need somebody. And it was that kind of thing where, where God was just doing something. And so I think that really set a a good 
tone for me to say, oh, this can happen and this can be effective even beyond my planning. And so I tried to hold every uh, session uh, quite loosely and be very open um, and just be very upfront with people right away. And so when anybody new ever comes in, I let them know right away, yes, I'm a facilitator, but I live with. And just the other thing I do in our groups is I, I uh, immediately, when we walk into the room, there's always a table with chairs around it. And the first thing I do is I pull that table out and I push it off to the side. And people look at me like, we're not sitting around the table. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, it'll be okay. It's another way physically for me to signal vulnerability and say, there's nothing that's going to stand between me and you, not even a table. And I'm going to lead the way in that. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm going to share with you. Um, and if I come in and I'm having a crappy day, if I come in and I didn't want to be there that evening, chances are neither did they, or at least somebody in the group's thinking that. And so I try to be really open and, and vulnerable with that. And so we've had other people come who have, who have come through the group, uh, find out that I'm a pastor, I'm in a church, and, uh, and, and they will, they're starting to come. We've had some community people come. And again, trying to help them experience that, that you don't have to come to church on a Sunday morning and have it all together or fake it and fit to fit in. Uh, this is a safe place. And, uh, and I find it way easier actually to have conversations with people when I ask them how they're doing and they say not so good yeah. because it's real and we can start to unpack and nothing miraculous uh, normally happens other than we often end up praying, which is, which is just miraculous. You get to talk to God and share your stuff, but, uh, but they don't walk away feeling cured or, but they feel, uh, supported and, uh, and that there's hope and they can continue on in their day. And to me, that's a win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's this idea of belonging, right? Yeah. Um, I've been meditating on that myself lately. And a lot of what you said about performance and <clears throat> really strikes a chord with me. And But this idea that you can belong, truly belong, because that is one of the our you know greatest desires as human beings. Mm -hmm. And to have the church be a place where that's possible. Yeah. You know, instead of, as you, you know, talked about, you were laying in that hospital bed and you felt like the church was saying, you know, get fixed up. Yeah. And then you'll fit in again. Right. You know? And what you're doing now is is creating that space where people don't have to be fixed up or, you know, to be a part of things. You know, we're very open to that when it comes to other chronic illnesses, but there is still a considerable stigma when it comes to church. And and I think a lot of it is just a fear of the unknown. We don't know what, what we're stepping into. We don't, uh, yeah, so. Well, it's interesting that you were talking a little bit about your, when you brought up this idea to previous Mm -hmm. churches. Yeah. They're like, huh. Yeah. So for people that are feeling that way now, other pastors that are listening to you and, and feeling stirred, you've got a whole bunch of people in a room who may be unpredictable. Like, I think that's a lot of where the fear comes yeah. from. So describe that to me. Like we have had people come into our group who uh, later on uh, that night uh, were in emergency because they were suicidal. Uh, we didn't know that. I didn't know that during my group. I could tell something was going on. Um, we've had, uh, uh, we have people who come and, and every time they leave, there's a sense of they're going back into a very broken environment and you just feel like, oh man, uh, you can't go there with them. You can't, you don't, 
you don't get to walk into their home and fix it all. There are times where people are taking over the group and sharing in ways that you're that you just need to step in with some clear boundaries and uh, and say, you know, either redirect or just say that's not what this group is for, or say, hey, we need to have a conversation afterwards. It, it doesn't always just flow super easy, and it's not always uh, uh, neat and tidy. But we, at the end of every evening, we as facilitators get together and we debrief what happened. We debrief if there's anything significant that we maybe think we we should follow up on, uh, that type of thing, and uh, and then we uh, we pray for. Uh, people in our groups and we pray for ourselves and we use the analogy of of it started out as analogy of a drawer but i i found that analogy a little hard so i switched it to a safe so <laughs> at the end of the day we we place everybody into a safe um in our minds and we close the door in that safe and we say okay god they're safe with you and when we're tempted during the next day or the next week to pull them back out in our thoughts oh so-and-so, man, they're going into a really ugly home situation or they were really sharing some deep things and I wish I could fix it for them. Then our thought is, okay, why am I pulling them out of the safe? Is it because God's asking me to pull them out of the safe and he wants me to do something? Or is it just because I want to crack that safe and fix everything that's in there? Um, and so that's been a real freeing experience to say they're safe with God, they're in the safe. And the next time I will get to see them and talk to them, usually uh, will either be the next session um, or on a Sunday morning or something like that. And then again, I can check in and uh, see how they're doing. And there hasn't been anything that we've encountered where um, either the staff of the church or uh, the staff at the emergency have not been able to deal with. We haven't lost anybody yet. Mm. And so in that sense... It, it hasn't been unmanageable, but there's definitely been times in the group where I, it's been like, oh man, I've I've lost <laughs> I've lost this group, and I and I'm not sure how how to get it back, and I'm not sure exactly uh, how God wants me to get it back. Like, is this okay? Because it's out just because it's outside of my comfort zone doesn't always mean that it's it's not being helpful or healthy within the group, and it is a learning experience, especially for people who come for the first time into a group. Some people come and they just want to, they're nervous and their nervousness either silences them or sometimes their nervousness causes them to be uh, just a complete open book and they just take over the whole session and they spend, you know, they want to spend an hour telling you their whole life story, which isn't necessarily what that hour is about. And so, uh, so again, that's part of our role as facilitators to help guide and allow the, the entire group to be successful. Um, and so when somebody breaks down in tears, I don't feel like I need to rush over there and fix it or anything. Usually somebody else in the group will come alongside and we just have this sense of by our actions and in our words, which are sometimes silent, saying, uh, it's okay. This is the place where you can cry about the brokenness in your life, or this is the place where you can uh, say, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. And uh, we as a group will hold that. So just imagine that you're sitting with someone who's a new pastor or a new ministry worker. 
And they've got all that on their shoulders, you know, the doing it right. They're passionate about mm-hmm. something. They're, they want to do it well and, and not be ill themselves. And, and mm-hmm. they want to start this thing. What would you, how would you encourage them? What would be the first thing you would say, this is probably a good idea. Start here. Hmm. <laughs> wow. I, I would encourage them with a the thing that I think I wish I had been encouraged with back in 1990 when I started in the ministry, um, and that would be self-care. And I would just encourage them to say, um, yeah, what are you doing in terms of self-care? And I would encourage them to be even more proactive and say, uh, if you don't already, find a counselor who you can speak with on a regular basis, not because I think you're ill or needing uh, something, but simply to help you know and be reminded of the fact that you are broken, but that God is still at work within you. And there are probably things that you don't even know about yourself that this other person, uh, if it's if it's a good relationship with your counselor, and that's always something to explore. And uh, don't don't stick with a counselor if that fit isn't there, because it's not going to be helpful to you, and it's not going to be helpful to them. Um, but once you find that person to be able to meet on a regular basis, whatever it might end up being for you, uh, you know, once a month or something, just somebody that you check in with, and you have a safe space to simply uh, unpack and say, "This is what's going on in my life. These are these are the fears that I'm experiencing. These are the joys. These are the things that are really driving me. I want to make sure that my motivations are good. I want to make sure that 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 I'm in a healthy place so that I can keep doing these great things." Or somebody who can say, hey, it looks like you're maybe struggling or maybe you're spiraling or what's going on. Um, It's hard to find that uh, person inside the church, either on the leadership team or on the staff team. Uh, At least it was for me because there was always that that sense of uh, either whatever's going on, I'll get over it. I just need a a break or, or I just need, you know, to shift gears or that kind of thing, or a sense of expectations that we just place on ourselves that, uh, I don't know if, if I'm real and vulnerable and show that weakness, that might jeopardize my ministry or that might jeopardize my job or that type of thing. And to do that regularly, especially when they are feeling like life and ministry are going great keep meeting with that person keep allowing them to encourage and affirm you're doing well it's it's a small price to pay for that person to be a part of your life for the times when you do face challenges and when things are going off the rails and uh, and for them to be able to even be able to see some of those things coming before you are ready to acknowledge that they're coming so to have that long-term relationship with somebody i think is well worth the cost that uh, you might put out in dollars over the years. I just want to say thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Because you are embodying what you are ministering in. I appreciate that. It doesn't always feel comfortable. (laughs) It it really doesn't. I, I still, I still wrestle with it a lot. Like it, there's a part of me that wishes that I could walk outside of, you know, this room and again feel cured and not have to deal with it and 
um, it is a challenge. It is a, a real wrestling um, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is part of how I find hope in in my healing journey and um, realizing it's how I want other people also to be able to experience hope is like you, you use the word uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There's hope in the uncomfortable. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to support mental health and well-being. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and for the stories of others as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those living with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for all of us to share our mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social and theological perspective and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. You can learn more about the Sanctuary course and Sanctuary's other resources at sanctuarymentalhealth.org. I'm your host, Sarah Kift, and I'm thankful for the people who helped make this episode happen. Music by the artist Crash by Car by archive.org, and all funding and support by the team at Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like. <laughs>